Welcome to the Government Huddle with Brian Chittister, a new podcast from Government Marketing University. My entire career has been dedicated to marketing in the government space. And in the beginning, I never cared about the why. I was completely focused on the how. It was all about the tactics, the analytics, the ROI, rinse and repeat. Then I decided I wanted to understand these programs and technologies the same way our customers do. It opened up a whole new world for me. And that is what this show is about, aligning the why with the how, taking a deep dive on current trends, making bold, educated predictions about the market, learning from expert guests, and discovering innovative concepts on how to respond to all of this. So join us as we talk about all things government marketers need to know about today, tomorrow, and beyond. Come on, let's huddle up. Hey guys, welcome back. This is the Government Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Chittister, and I've been looking forward to today's episode for a number of reasons, but none bigger than being able to say we have with us the godfather of government marketing, Mark Amtower. I know a lot of my listeners know Mark, some personally, and really understand the value he can bring, which is another reason why I'm excited to bring you some of his insights today. And when you're known as the godfather of government marketing, You really don't need an introduction, do you? But I'm going to give it a shot. And I want to start with something that's trending right now, because like a lot of people, I'm suffering from sports withdrawal. And thankfully, ESPN has been airing The Last Dance, a documentary about the 1998 Chicago Bulls, which is incredible, by the way. If you haven't gotten a chance to watch it, I recommend it. But throughout the 10-part series, it alternates between time periods. And I'm sure some of those listening right now are wondering, well, what does this have to do with Mark? Well, let me tell you, Mark started helping companies do business with the government in 1985, the same year Michael Jordan won Rookie of the Year honors in the NBA. Crazy to think about all the companies he's advised over that time. And Mark's also a nationally known speaker, author, radio host. But to me, what's most impressive is that he continues to become an expert in the most relevant ways of public sector marketing. For example, He's the go-to guy for using social media, especially LinkedIn, to be able to scale your messaging. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you joining us today. Wow. Um, thank you. Um, are we done? Uh, <laughs> <wow>. <laughs> Just walk What's off stage. <laughs> <clears throat> I, don't, I don't walk on water, but I do watch a lot of stuff that goes on in the market. How's that? <clears throat> Perfect. Perfect. So let's jump right into it then. The world's in the middle of a global pandemic. And I think most companies and marketers have made the shift now from being reactive to proactive, or if they haven't yet really need to, but with everything going on, what's the biggest surprise that you've had in the last few months? Um, I think the biggest surprise I've been monitoring uh, telework in government since the early 1990s. There used to be four telework centers around DC so people wouldn't have to drive into town all the time. So I think each of these centers could hold a couple hundred people each. Uh, But the telework craze, you know, kind of phased out for a variety of reasons, most of which revolved around, if I can't see you, you're not working. Um, 
there's never been any statistics to verify or validate that. So what I think has surprised me most is the rapid and relatively successful of deployment of telework for govies and industry. That's been really, really cool. It's not an exciting topic, but it is for me. No, I, I would agree. Um, one of the things that I'll say has surprised me is the government really reevaluating what can and can't be digital. And I think there's been a lot of things, uh, telework kind of factored this because of what you said, but there's been a lot of things that governments have looked at and said, well, this never could be digital. And now all of a sudden saying, well, now this has to be digital. Um, but, uh, but, amazing, but isn't it? <laughs> it's amazing what necessity does, right? But yeah. I, you're absolutely right. I think on the federal level, we've seen a lot of really successful implementations of telework. I think as you as you drive down deeper and deeper into the state, I think that's where some of the struggle has been. And you have groups that use desktop computers and uh, have had to distribute laptops out to their employees because because um, they're forced into telework. And it's incredible in this day and age that you're just not on a laptop. 24 seven with, with your job. Yeah. I think soup has benefited greatly from that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the other things that, that, uh, I'm very pleasantly surprised with are the rapid adoption of video conferencing platforms and the ranking, particularly by DOD and NSA of which ones are safe. So there's only like three, uh, platforms I think that are FedRAMP authorized. Um, Zoom and uh, uh, WebEx, and there's another one, and I forget which. Um, but, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff going on in, in that arena. Um, but the other thing that seems, and, and this is more of a pulse kind of thing, the environment seems to have helped create more of a push on a sharing attitude, uh, at least among those that I work with. I completely agree. Um, for starters, I've seen more innovation in the virtual technology space in the past couple months than I feel like I have in a couple of years. In, in Zoom, uh, Google Meet, which just rebranded, uh, WebEx, I think that's 1A of my example. Um, but the sharing aspect, I think, is another great point. And I think no industry has gained more value from that than our security area. Um, we've seen cyber intrusions go up. I think I saw a statistic somewhere 4,000% uh, in terms of ransomware, but a lot of these cybersecurity companies have uh, been open, open sourcing some of their information so they can mitigate a lot of these attacks and kind of helping even competitors. Um, so from a national security perspective, we're more reinforced. Yeah, it's funny you should mention the cyber side because we've <clears throat> been connected I believe about six years now, you showed up on my radar when you started at Emix, soon to be Emix Arrow, and you started doing the uh, analysis work in the cyber arena. Mm -hmm. That and it's been one of the areas that uh, that I've thought is a great differentiator, especially within uh, within government. Um, even as they look from a telework perspective, cyber cybersecurity and just security in general. <laughs> is just an area of focus for for every organization um but with everything being shifted to virtual in a virtual environment like we mentioned i would think that social media has become even more important for sales and marketing folks especially linkedin and and luckily we have you here 
with us to talk through some of the things that people should be doing right now. Um, because frankly, LinkedIn is entirely a beast of its own. And I know there's a lot we can cover, but let's start with profiles. Um, people have some time on their hands. What should, what should they be doing right now to help beef up their profiles and how is it going to help them in what they're doing? Well, the first thing that people have to understand, two things they should understand. LinkedIn is the number one place where individuals are vetted. So if your profile is incomplete, inaccurate, or uh, doesn't say really anything, <clears throat> you're, you're automatically losing business. Uh, the, the, the second thing is when you take a look at somebody's screenshot, their opening screenshot on LinkedIn, it's got to pull people in immediately. That headline, the headshot, and the background area that so many people leave in that silly blue line and dot thing. Um, 90% of the profiles I'm looking at uh, are, are that blue. And that's free space. That's editable space. You go to somewhere like canva.com and you can create graphics and fill in the back. If your company's not supplying stuff to put back there, there's every reason for you to do so for yourself because we each have some sort of area of expertise and you can highlight it in that space. That's a really good point. And I think uh, as marketers, that's maybe something we should do sometimes on in terms of our, our sales team and just uh, even, even our executives, I mean, and anywhere in between and understand kind of what are people using in that space? How can we create something that might be more dynamic for them to, to put up there? Um, because I mean, we want to be able to support them um, just like we're asking them to support us in some of the things that we're, that we're asking them to do. Yeah. And, and there's a number of free sites. I like Canva because I can use it and I'm not a particularly astute technical person. Um, so you can look at my background and, and it looks like I created it, but it says what I want it to. Right. So I put a couple of pictures there. I put some text there and it is what I want it to be. It says what I want it to say. But if you're, if you're more talented in that arena, uh, there's, there's just really no end to what you can do. But what I find vastly amusing is companies that put in their company logo back there and don't size it properly. So you're cutting off part of, of the words either on either end, or they don't understand that your headshot's going to cover the left side of that profile. So the beginning of your name might not show up. <laughs> I, mean, I mentioned before. I, I mentioned before some of the things that we're asking uh, we're asking our sales team perhaps to do. And I know I, I'm constantly working with my team to understand that they need to be pushing content out into the market more, and, and right. how they can become more of a trusted source of information. Because I feel like that's one of the things that really helps you uh, stay relevant. Um, but one of the one of the things that I hear from them is they don't have any time. And I know for me, when I'm I'm building building out my day, I usually come downstairs early in the morning. I'm in my office. And the first thing I do is I start reading through articles and figuring out which ones are most informative, which ones do I think people want to hear. And I post them and give my opinions on them. But uh, again, I hear from people that they don't have time. So um, how, what would you how, say long, to how long does that? it take you to do when you find an article, which Jermaine, how long does it take you to figure out it's good? These two points are salient click on the LinkedIn share button, click on post, 
put in your comments, put in a couple of tags or hashtags, and boom, you're there, right? What are we talking about? Three minutes? Co couple minutes, yeah, absolutely. And the value is so much greater than the time you're putting in. Well, here's the value. So salespeople usually have a fair number of contacts. So let's say you have 5,000 contacts, right? Or 2,500, doesn't really matter how much. And you find some, an article that is very, very on target to the niche that you serve. You post it on your site. You make one or two comments and <clears throat> you throw in a couple of hashtags for the topic. Hit the send button, the post button. It goes out to all of your connections in their homepage feed. Brian just posted this article on Boom. Now, are they all going to see it? No, not necessarily because a homepage feed or the notifications page feed is just like a Twitter feed. It's active. It's ongoing. But a certain portion of your connections will see it. And as long as you've connected with people who are germane to what you do, remember, this is a business network. If you're connecting to people who are germane to what you do, they'll like it. So, so when we've touched on profiles and we've touched on content, but what are some other areas that, uh, that need to be addressed perhaps in LinkedIn or can be addressed on LinkedIn that people often don't think about? Well, you know, a lot of people go, you know, why the hell should I say happy birthday to somebody? Who cares if somebody got a promotion at this company? Well, you know, if if you're doing account-based marketing and somebody you know has just moved in to an account that you work, why wouldn't you take the time to look at their profile, see where they've been, where they are now, look at the company profile to see who else you know there, and then send a note that says, hey, Congrats on the new job. I have four or five connections there. Let me know if you want me to do some intros for you if you haven't already met them. That's no, I, I, it's easy enough, right? It's easy yeah. enough. Again, two or three minutes to look at this stuff. You're, you're making notes in your head as you go along. You get it out to these people, and all of a sudden – you're, you're top of mind with them. You know other people there. You may know their boss. So you say, hey, if you see, if you see Gail, tell her I said hello. And it, it, you could just click the like button sometimes. I've, I've had that conversation with my sales team. Just by clicking the like button sometimes advances it into your, into your feed and other people's feeds that you're connected to, showing them that you're engaged with the piece of content. Sure, sure. But if you like and comment, Mm -hmm. it's more likely that you're going to start some sort of a conversation. Don't just say, hey, great post. What did you like about the post? What did you like about the article? So so obviously LinkedIn is one of the areas of expertise that, that you have. And I mentioned at the top of the show, one of the things that I am most impressed with um, for you is your ability to stay relevant and engage with things that um, that are beneficial and engage the market. And you've been doing this since 1985. So things have changed throughout that period of time. Um, and, and here you are still. So how do you continue to learn and, uh, and stay relevant in order to be top of mind on things within your role? You're telling me I'm not a digital native. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm a digital native. <laughs> well, I, I tell people I work with closer than me. <laughs> I tell people I work with all the time. They didn't have social media when I was in college. That was all something I had to learn. 
Hell, they didn't have computers when I, was <laughs> I I had to hire somebody to put my master's thesis on an eight-inch floppy. <laughs> and some of our listeners might not know what an eight-inch floppy is. Uh, it it's a really old way to store <laughs> data. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, um, you know, I I, I started my company in '85. Looking around the market, I saw that nobody was treating marketing to the government really as a separate discipline. Um, not even the ad agents really back then, because they were you know, selling burgers and helping government contractors. And a lot of the advertising had to do with recruiting. Still does, actually. But <clears throat> I looked at it. I had had some experience at that point. I had sold training to DOD and Fortune 1000. I was the first circulation director of government computer news, and I decided I didn't want to work for anybody else ever again, so I opened my shop. And I studied marketing to the government for 35 years now. And uh, <clears throat> I guess one thing is I, th I think it's really cool. I enjoy it. It doesn't sound exciting. And for 99.9% .9 of the people out there, many of whom are even in our market. It's not exciting, but it is to me. I love this stuff. I love watching, you know, again, <clears throat> you got on my radar because you started putting your analysis on the uh, the IMIX group blog, the Government Sales Insider blog. That's what mm -hmm. puts you on my radar. Um, so <clears throat> uh, I, I, I like finding information sources that keep me current on the market and on marketing. So um, two of the uh, most recent shows that I have recorded, uh, a friend of mine happens to be one of the most uh, well-known authors and speakers on social media, David Merriman Scott. Uh, his seventh edition for the new rules of marketing and PR just came out. So to migrate from digital or, or from analog to to digital when his first edition came out it didn't even mention linkedin but i'd already been on linkedin for three years what his book talked about was how information could now be it was it was web 2.0 is the democratization of information sharing period that's that's the simplest uh explanation that i can give it and it's pretty accurate so what I when I was reading his book, I'm thinking about LinkedIn, thinking about the government market and going, damn, this could be fun. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so I started writing and speaking about LinkedIn in 2008 before most people were here. I started coaching on it in 2009. Um, I'm not great at some of the other platforms. I'm not even good at some of the other platforms. Some of them I don't even know. Um, but LinkedIn is really where the market is. I can, I can identify 2.1 million feds on LinkedIn by agency and job function. I can't do that on Facebook. I can't do that on Twitter. I can build relationships with a number of those people if I find the right context to reach out. This stuff fascinates me. It's cool. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, uh, uh, Lee Fredrickson and I get on uh, on the radio, his show or my show, uh, and we geek out about building subject matter expert platforms. Um, 
this is neat stuff. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that in, when you have that passion um, for for what you do and you want to continue to be better and better at it, I think uh, it, it just becomes involuntary. I, I, so somebody who's been really good at this too, um, and I've been seeing, because a lot of us have a lot of time on our hands right now. Well, some, some more than others. I'm, I'm chasing after a six-year-old and a one-year-old sometimes, but, uh, but Alan Rubin, and, and I know, you, oh, I, yeah. know, you know I, I know, you know, Rubin, and he's yeah. been doing a really good job of taking advantage of some of this extra time that he has where he's not commuting in and out of the office, but he's been doing some certifications around, around certain things like, uh, uh, HubSpot has a free certification. That I know he made me aware of. And for, for those who might not be as up on, uh, some of the digital, trends and platforms and initiatives out there happening there's places out there that you can go to right now um to access some of this information and alan is just the first person that popped in my head because he's been uh really judicious judicious about using his time and and using it well he's working on his third certification right now and i think it's the google ads but it's funny you mentioned uh hubspot uh, hubspot was founded by uh, uh brian halligan and uh, what the hell was his partner's name? What is his partner's name? Um, give me a second. I have the book right here, Dharmesh Shaw. So um, I met Brian uh, virtually uh, through several venues. We have a couple of shared friends. Um, I had him on my show af after Inbound Marketing came out, the book Inbound Marketing. So Brian's cer or uh, Alan's cert there is on how to drive traffic to your site and build it into your CRM process so you get people addicted to the content that you're building and sharing uh, or finding and sharing. So I had this relationship with Halligan, the CEO of HubSpot, and he did a blurb for my uh, selling to the government. You just touched on content and that's something I really wanted to touch on earlier and didn't get a chance to when we were talking about LinkedIn, I see that platform being truly content driven. And it's where I go to find a lot of the stuff that I like to read. But what I'd like to know, and this is what I pose to you is, how is LinkedIn as a platform really driving the types of content that's being created right now by marketers? I don't, uh... I have a YouTube page. I'm not all that active on it, so I'm not sharing video. I do share my radio show, and I certainly post all of the interviews that I have with, with like you. This, this will definitely go up on my profile. Mm -hmm. But I think it's more dependent on how the members of your particular audience, the people you're trying to influence, uh, digest data. What are their information grazing habits? Uh, some people, you know, some people miss drive time because that's when they listen to podcasts. Some people are addicted to YouTube. If you go to YouTube, every major contractor, every major OEM has a YouTube page. They're there. They're sharing information. Um, short form articles are great. Uh, it it depends on the audience. Uh, indiv the individuals in each audience, and there's there's no simple answer to that. I, um, I posed I posed a similar question on my on one of my episodes previously to uh, a guy named Dave Walt. He works over at Adobe, and not necessarily in the government space, but he is uh, he's an expert on um, Martech. And one of the things I asked him was, 
because content is technology really driving. And I think that's probably a decent segue into kind of what I asked you. And what he mentioned to me was, uh, it's really just about uh, the native aspect of content. So uh, like you said, where do how do people engage? Where do they engage? Are they on their desktop computer? Are, are they opening up on an iPad or their, or their mobile device? And then creating content for those type of viewing habits. So I... So infographics have have become really top of mind for folks, but sure. I don't see a lot of infographics on LinkedIn. And I think possibly could be, they're hard to read on, on mobile devices. And maybe that's where a lot of people do that. But I think it's, it begs the question kind of where are you, where are you spending a lot of your time? So as marketers, we need to look and say uh, exactly what you said. How are people consuming the information we're putting out? How do we need to package that up? Uh, and deliver it. And LinkedIn just happens to be that medium. So what works best there? Yeah, well, I, 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 I post a lot on LinkedIn. I alternate my articles between LinkedIn and, and my, my personal blog. Uh, I also do a monthly column for Washington technology. And when that goes up, I post it on LinkedIn, um, as well, all over LinkedIn as well. Um, but the the you know again it, it's 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 really really difficult to say on on the uh, on the graphics side the infographics particularly it is difficult to read sixty plus percent of the traffic on LinkedIn is from some sort of mobile device probably a handheld right so um, when you're writing on LinkedIn that dictates that you need plenty of white space to make things easier to read. So space between each short paragraph. Paragraphs should never run more than three lines on LinkedIn. And then a hard return white space. Why? Because if you try to do something on, on your mobile device that's five lines, no, it's hard to read. People will stop. And, it, the, you know, the length is also important. I try to keep my articles on LinkedIn to under 400 words. I think I wanted to ask you, and, and you and I were discussing this um, earlier, is the idea around the, the government selling season. And the situation we're in right now mm -hmm. is normal, obviously. Um, and usually that sell, selling season pushes into August, September. Um, but a lot of these procurements are being accelerated. So what are you seeing in terms of that selling season move up? Is it shifting back? Is is there any insight that you have around that? I I haven't. You know, I I need to pick my uh, my buddies at Bloomberg's brains on this. Um, but the 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 one thing that I'm sure of is that uh, a number of best in class contracts will be picking up activity. Soup obviously already is because of the need of the laptops for the uh, the telework. Um, you know. What we're what we're not going to see this year are those end of FY live in person events. Um, they they just aren't going to happen. Uh, I there's there's money that's got to be spent before the end of FY. It's use it or lose it. My biggest concern about end of FY is that the subsequent year may be somewhat smaller as a result of all of the uh, relief spending for COVID. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense. The, um, and I think the uncertainty around when it could be 
is is certainly being felt by a lot of people. I what you said though is is absolutely true. There will be one. There will be a push at some point, and just figuring out where that is. Um, the market always fun for me, and I hope our audience enjoyed it. But any final thoughts you wanted to leave them with today? Oh boy, <clears throat> um, there is going to be some sort of new normal as a result of COVID. Uh, what that looks like, I I cannot begin to say. I'm hoping that the massive immediate migration to telework opens up that as a viable alternative to, you know, clogging the streets every day. Um, But, you know, is it really going to happen? I don't know. Um, the, the, The downside for us is I believe there's going to be some industry downsizing as a result, I've already talked to a number of my friends who are now in a looking mode, having been uh, uh, phased out of their organizations due to the lack of marketing going on there. And the the other part of that marketing equation is if there's less money in corporate coffers, usually the first ca- casualty is marketing. No, I, I think that's right. And we've seen that in every industry, even outside of just government marketing, but in general. But another thing, if I would have people keep their eyes on is the M&A market. I think there's going to be a lot mm. of companies that could be uh, swallowed up and consolidated. And um, I mean, some, some for, for good some reasons. Bargains. <laughs> well, exactly. And, I, well, and that's usually what happens in the M&A market, right? And I think there's yeah. going to be some some companies that are going to want to take advantage of whatever this new normal is. And they're, they're probably doing some due diligence right now saying, are we going to build it or are we going to accelerate and just have it? And, and that's probably some conversations happening right now in a lot of companies. Yeah. Kips DeSanto, uh, oddly enough, about uh, six hours ago announced a, a successful adoption of one company by another. Um, so yeah, you're you're dead on there. Um, I, I hadn't factored that in, uh, but it it is going to happen. So any any time there is a, a, a downsizing like this, people people are bargain hunting, and there's a lot of really good midsize and small companies out there that uh, that may not be demanding the same premium. Thank you again for joining the show, Mark. And as always, thank you all for listening. Like Mark and I mentioned today during the show, we all have some extra time in the situation we're in. So look for some free courses to advance your skills. There's a lot of opportunities right now. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at ChittisterAB. And while you're at it, if you're not connected with Mark already, you should reach out. Stay safe, guys. Bye for now.